World of Work podcast with James and Jane. Hi everyone, this is Jane. And just before we get into this episode, I want to remind you of all the really great stuff on our website at www.worldofwork.io. Over there, you can check out all the online seminars and workshops we do, as well as our team development programs. You'll also find articles on topics to help you thrive at work. So that's www.worldofwork.io. Now let's get on to the episode. Hello, this is James. And this is Jane. And here we are again today with another episode of the World of Work podcast. We've got a fun episode. We're going to be exploring some uh, important and timely things. So Jane, what are we speaking about? Well, today we are talking all about female leaders in global positions. So a very uh, pertinent topic at the moment. And we are talking to Kelsey Medeiros, who is the assistant professor, uh, is an assistant professor of management at the University of Nebraska, Omaha. Brilliant. Well, let's get into that conversation. Okay, so here we are in the main body of today's podcast, and we've got a really exciting uh, guest and really exciting conversation. We're going to be speaking to Kelsey Medeiros, who's an assistant professor in management at the College of Business Administration at the University of Nebraska in Omaha. And she's been working on uh, the roles and experiences and impact of female leaders in global positions over the past few years. And we're going to be having a conversation about the book that she's writing or written on that, sorry, I should say, and some of the findings of that, as well as her uh, insights into some practical tips and suggestions we can take from what she's learned in this exploration. Um, before we get into all that detail, though, Kelsey, would you be able to uh, introduce yourself to the audience and say a little bit about yourself and your background and, and what your focus is? Absolutely. Uh, so hello, thanks for having me on today. Um, I'm really excited to chat with you about some of this work. Uh, so as James mentioned, I am an assistant professor of management at the College of Business at uh, the University of Nebraska, Omaha. Uh, where I study workplace troublemakers. Um, So a troublemaker is someone who breaks the rules or defies expectations and stereotypes in some way. We we often think about troublemakers as people who are doing bad, people who we want out of our organizations. Um, But I like to think about troublemakers a little bit more broadly and not just um, as bad actors, but also as people who can create positive change in organizations. Um, So I look at that through a lot of different angles in terms of ethics, uh, creative troublemakers, um, as well as women in leadership as uh, troublemakers and rocking the boat by by countering our stereotypes of who can um, and can't be a leader and and what effective leadership really looks like. And and that's really the premise um, of this book um, and looking at it through the lens of uh, women in global leadership positions. I love that phrase, troublemakers. I, you know, Jane and I often come across the phrase, you know, disruptors and disrupting. And, and that's, for me, got some sort of connotations that I don't really like to associate with. But the phrase troublemaker is really good. I, and I like that flip between positive aspects of troublemaking and, and maybe the more conventional initial uh, negative connotations associated with it. What do you find when you speak to people about troublemakers? Where do they come down? Do they tend to think of positive or negative first? Or what's that conversation like? Yeah, I think people automatically kind of think of um, negative, uh, the negative stereotype. I asked uh, some some friends recently and they said, you know, like home alone, <laughs> kind of all <laughs> yes. these kids doing bad things type, that, that kind of um, uh, perspective. Um, but I think it's really interesting because we, we see troublemaking pop up in other conversations um, as well. So I look at kind of harassment in the workplace and um, we see that people who report bad actors, uh, particularly bad actors who are uh, well-liked or high performers in their organizations, 
Um, people who are reporting them are seen as troublemakers yeah. uh, themselves. So I think it's a really complex topic and um, it's really interesting to explore from all those different angles. Yeah, that's fascinating. It would be great to explore that troublemaking more broadly at some point. But for today, let's let's try and focus in on those female leaders, be they troublemakers Definitely. or not. And I'd just like to, to ask, you know, you've been looking at female leaders, I think, over the past few years. What specific leaders have you been looking at? And in what context have you been looking at female leaders? What sort of organizations or positions have you been exploring? Yeah, so so I look at um, leaders from a from a research perspective more broadly in terms of organization, organizational leaders, and those um, who are interested in kind of advancing up the ranks as well, um, particularly in, in, on women um, in organizations. But more recently, I've really been interested in uh, women who ha- who are um, heads of state or in these globally recognized leadership um, positions. So. You know, there's been a lot of attention on them recently and, and on, a, on a few in particular. So people like Angela Merkel, uh, Jacinda Ardern of New Zealand. Um, but also you've got your president of Taiwan, the prime minister of Iceland, uh, Barbados, Finland. You've got a lot of uh, women really on the global stage at the moment um, in leadership positions that are really interesting to explore and to take a look at, at what they're doing. And, and when you're looking at this over the, the sort of time scales that you're looking at, how far back are you going? Are you focusing on really contemporary uh, leaders in, in that sort of geopolitical space? Are you going back a, any uh, time at all? Yeah, at the moment, it's really just contemporary leaders. So women who are currently holding those positions. So there's just a, a, a few over 20, uh, which is a depressing number, but also exciting, I guess, because it marks progress, but still quite small. Um, so the, it's a small subset of leaders uh, to look at, and we still don't have a ton of information about them. Um, and so I really wanted to uncover, you know, those those women who are currently in positions of power. Um, what what are they doing? And when you started looking into this and, and, and reflecting on those women and those global leadership positions at the minute, yeah. was there anything that you were hoping to find? Or did you have any expectations about what you would see when you started this project? Any hypotheses? Or was it just a, an open canvas of let's explore and see what emerges? Yeah, well, so there were so many conversations going on. You know, I know we don't really like to think back to March 2020. Um, but yes. there, were so many, <laughs> yes. uh, there were so many conversations going on right about that time um, about women um, leading their countries through COVID and, and the specific actions that they were doing or that they were taking, excuse me. Um, and so I was interested in kind of taking a slightly more scientific lens to that to understand um, what what were they actually doing? Were the themes that people talk, were talking about, did they kind of hold over that time, um, over the, the length of the pandemic so far, as well as were they doing that before? Was there something unique about this crisis that brought these characteristics to the forefront or were we just not paying attention uh, to them and, and their strengths prior to it? So in terms of hypotheses, I, I didn't have any formal hypotheses. You know, I'm fam- familiar with the literature, so there were some things I expected um, to see broadly, but no- nothing in terms of, you know, I, I wanted to set out to find these particular skills. Um, I was really just an open question to see what, what are they doing and what can we learn from them? That's interesting. And I, I'd love to come back in a minute and explore the, did they change as a result of that response to global yeah. conditions of that period. Uh, uh, we'll jump back to that in a minute because that's that's pretty fun. Um, when when we're looking at sort of leadership at this level, one of the questions in my mind is, you know, are, are we purely trying to look at 
what they do and, and draw those lessons out? Or are we trying to do any sort of assessment in terms of what success looks like and what correlation between action and, and success looks like? So I guess when you're doing this this research, were you purely in that observational stage of looking at what people were doing, what their actual actions were? Or did you have any uh, sense of what success looked like from a leadership perspective and, and in terms of leadership outcomes for those individuals? This is such a great question. Um, you know, in terms of COVID, what really started me down that path in, in terms of success was their their case rates and their death rates. Um, you know, that, that was the first kind of metric of success I looked at. Um, but then I also really became interested in kind of the public sentiment around these women, which is really hard to assess <laughs> um, for, a, for a variety of reasons, you know, um, because that's all filtered through the media. Um, and then particularly, you know, that's filtered through my search engine <laughs> and the Western media, you know, that pops up. And so what I'm reading in terms of the sentiment about these leaders might not be the on the ground sentiment that um, people people have about them. So it's it's been a lot of conversations with people as well to kind of try to tease out a little bit more of that that sentiment um, and to understand uh, their reactions. Um, I'm also really interested in economic consequences um, and, and their impact on the economy and other metrics like that. Um, in terms of COVID, of course, those are a little bit more long term. Um, and we, we probably won't know those uh, right off the bat. But um, yeah, so so in terms of what on um, the initial beginning of this project, it was really centered on COVID. It's expanded, um, as I mentioned, to, to be a bit more broader about their leadership kind of history and uh, potential, I guess. Um, but that was the main driving metric of success. But as I mentioned as well, there's only about 22, 23 <laughs> of them. So it's, it's pretty easy to say, I'm going to look at all of them. You know, we don't have this, this problem of hundreds of people to come through. And, and the other issue is that we, we don't have a lot of information about a lot of them. So there's only a handful of books written about um, the current leaders. Um, and, and so some of it was a purely access of information um, criteria uh, to be included and to think about um, in, in this project. Yeah, that's super interesting. And and your points there, or some of your points there about that filtering of information and trying to identify reality from a sentiment perspective is is a is a big challenge in many different ways. Um, yeah. And those different metrics of success are hard. And then part of that goes to some extent in terms, for me at least, in, in towards trying to define what the role of that political leadership is. Is the role of a political leader to, you know, implement the will of the people or is it to mm-hmm. be an informed leader for the people? And then there's all those sort of dichotomies that, that, that exist. It just reminds me a lot of, you know, kind of like a parenting analogy, right? And I think a lot of leadership can sometimes be akin to parenting, um, even in organizations. This idea that maybe, you know, the public doesn't have a good sentiment or reaction to a leader's actions but maybe that's what the organization needs <laughs> or maybe what that that's what that country needs in that moment and so really trying to understand what um, effective leadership more generally not just about you know political leaders but just organizational leaders as well what is effective leadership is something that I think really hard to grasp and understand so I think that's a really great point yeah too. you know uh, and again going totally totally off um, plan here. I was, you know, I've been reading some. So yeah, I've been reading a little bit over the weekend, and one of the things that mm. that I find popping up 
quite often in, in the, the stuff I've been reading about is even in, in some really interesting books talking about, you know, analysis of a current state of the world, I, I feel there's a little bit of a vacuum around what that vision for the future is. And and I think that sometimes having that, the, the ability to lead, it sounds like such a simple point, having an ability to lead well requires a really clear vision for the future. And I don't always feel that that, that clear vision for the future is uh, at the forefront of people's minds. When you look at sort of leadership in this cohort, what sense did you get that there was a clear vision for the future or, or what sort of time horizons do you think people are, are looking at in, in these roles? That's a really great question. Um, I don't have a succinct answer for you. Um, you know, I think I think it depends on who you're talking about, much like we look at leadership more broadly. You know, some leaders are going to be more visionary and long-term focused um, and some are going to be more, um, you know, focused on the present. I think what I've noticed um, is probably a mix. You, you see a lot of focus on the long-term consequences, but I don't know necessarily know if that's if that's vision that you're speaking to as much as it's thinking more about the long-term and the impact of some of the decisions um, downstream. So I think that's a really, that's a great question. I don't have a good answer. For that's you. cool. It's just something that, that I reflect on with some of the things I've been reading about. So it's uh, interesting. Um, yeah. So let's great. jump into maybe some of your research. Then. So what what did you find? You know, what what were your findings and, and particularly in terms of what these leaders did and, and maybe what sets them apart as leaders? Yeah. So I, I think when I started off, I really thought I was going to be surprised <laughs> and there were going to be these like really insightful nuggets of like, oh, wow, this is, you know, world game changing yeah. of what they're doing. And what I found was really that they were just executing the like, fundamentals of good leadership and decision making. Um, you know, so really boring topics that we don't see written about like planning <laughs> analyzing you know they aren't these you know jazzy um topics like emotional intelligence or grit you know that kind of catch these headlines um what i really saw was that they were just really good at, at the fundamentals so i think a really good example of this is um Tsai Ing-wen, the president of taiwan um so you know really early on um, during the pandemic is December, Jan- December 2019, January 2020, when most of us weren't even really thinking about it, or maybe just secretly panicking um, that this might might reach us. You know, she was setting up the Central Epi- Epidemic Command Center really early January. They were already monitoring passengers that were coming in and out of their country in December, and they were really prepared. And she had a really solid plan um, around what what to do. Um, And, you know, some of this, I I think one thing to know is that that really highlights the importance of planning, um, right, which is a boring topic, but uh, important one. And I think it also highlights um, the importance of learning from previous experiences. And so, you know, Taiwan had um, faced previous outbreaks of other coronavirus related um, uh, viruses, I guess. Um, and so they really took lessons from those past experiences, as other countries um, did as well. But I, I think they do it really to 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 an extreme. That was really well done. Um, taking lessons from that and and being ready um, with those lessons to to not have that happen again um, and to to fight this virus head on. And then the other um, thing to note from her response is that you know her vice president is an epidemiologist. <laughs> Um, by training. So they had this, you know, 
excellent scientist in a political uh, position that was able to speak to uh, their response in a different way. And so in a time where we saw some countries um, ignoring scientists and experts, and in some cases, uh, silencing them, uh, we saw that she was really seeking help from the experts and listening to those who had a different expertise um, than her. And so I think you know, a lot of those things are just fundamentals of good decision-making and leadership. And we just saw her execute that um, so well and so quickly. Thanks for that. I think that's, um, it's so, it triggers so many questions that I don't even know where to start. But I'm <laughs> going to start with my first question, which is, um, you, when you just talked about uh, the way that they approached, um, particularly the people that they had in their teams, their yeah. immediate teams around them, I, it just, it, it really interests me. And I guess I wanted to know a little bit was you used that ex example um, in Taiwan. Was that something you saw elsewhere that that there was a, um, a clear sort of relationship with or anything that shows that other female leaders are maybe more um, specific in their needs of the people that they have immediately around them in their teams so that they're better informed or so that as a group they can make better decisions or, or lead better? Yeah, I, I don't think it's fair for me to say more or less, um, just because I didn't do a direct um, comparison. But that was a general theme um, that I did see emerging, that they had these really well-rounded teams of experts um, and that they were listening to them. Uh, so they weren't just there for show, but, but they were really um, genuinely listening to um, the advice and, and seeking help. Brilliant. Thank you. And I'm thinking back to some of the uh some of the ideas around leadership that maybe are prevalent in certain parts of corporate world uh, yes. so things like the great man leadership leadership um uh -huh. uh, yeah and charismatic <laughs> leadership and things like that and i guess everything you've described could be in some in some frames or some with some lenses considered a little bit maybe dull or yeah. very practical and boring and i i guess i wanted to ask you a little bit about whether, I mean, you already mentioned that you were expecting, I guess, more surprises than you got, but mm -hmm. was that, how did you feel about that when it start, you started to explore it and that sort of trend towards the sort of more dull, pragmatic, practical um, competency, let's go with. <laughs> yeah. Um, how did you feel about that when you started finding that out and, and what else did you discover in that space? I was really, um, I was excited about it, uh, to be honest, because I think, um, there's a narrative out there that, um, you know, women, we need more women in leadership because they bring um, certain qualities that make them very different, which which they do. Um, but there's also a narrative that we just have a lot of bad leaders. <laughs> and by opening the doors to women and others who aren't historically um, granted those leadership positions, what we're doing is opening the door as well for more competence. Um, and so in some ways, I was pleased to see that um, and to see that these women were just strong leaders in the basics. Um, you know, and, and one thing that that came up and I and I did see, you know, is that women, they, they did tend to have this slightly more empathetic um, view, you know, if we contrast um, like Jacinda Ardern of New Zealand um, and her very empathetic um, responses to this crisis to like a Herr Bolsonaro 
um, in Brazil, you know, who, who basically said, yeah, some people are going to die. You're going to have to deal with it. Um, you know, that certainly um, emerged. But I, I think the idea that they're just these women are just fundamentally good leaders. Um, it was was a cool thing to see, even if it is a little boring. And I think it's so easy to get distracted by, you know, these glitzy ideas of leadership and charisma. Um, but I think those things can be dangerous as well. And so so I, I was happy to see to see this come out. Yeah, it totally strikes me that the the more glitzy yep. uh, or sexy or attractive we make leadership, the more likely we are to attract people to those roles that <laughs> perhaps enjoy leading with that kind of glitzy, sexy, communications-based approach. And I guess, um, I, I guess the one sort of question I would have is that these certain, and I don't, I don't know Taiwan at all, but for example, with New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jacinda Ardern was elected with with a fairly stable majority the second right time round. Second time, yeah, yeah. And whether that uh, whether that's something you're looking, whether this is something you're looking at or might look at in the future, or, or whether you'd like to see, is like what does that stability do to allow her to continue or sort of even double down on a very process based good decision? versus the sort of leadership that we see in some of the less less stable places uh, politically, certainly places like the UK over the last few years, yeah. where we've seen a very um, voter-facing, comms-based leadership, where people are worried all the time about how and what they're being perceived, which seems to me to be, uh, uh, probably lends itself to a much more sort of short-term, less boring, dull, healthy, competent approach. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's distracting, right? They're they're basically trying to address a different problem um, rather than address uh, whatever crisis, whatever issue you know is at hand. They're they're doing that, but also trying to address their likability factor, <laughs> um, and and so it 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 adds in a new issue and it essentially changes the problem uh, that they're trying to solve, which I think just creates uh, more complexity and and doesn't help them solve the real problem at hand, which is the crisis or, or, you know, the issue. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think I once heard a phrase, and I don't, I don't think I heard it in leadership studies, actually. I think I heard it in a history book around the concept of chairman leadership or chairwoman leadership. Mm. The idea that someone is the best leaders, particularly for periods of challenge in an environment are people who are just really good at running a senior team. And not necessarily um, the the visionary transformational leaders that perhaps we've focused on over the last sort of 15, 20 years, particularly with, you know, things like tech becoming bigger. And I wondered, is, is, is chairman leadership a thing? Is there research on that? Is that something that you see as sort of similar to, to some of these female leaders' expertise and skills? Yeah. So, I mean, I think some of that is a pragmatism right? Just a pragmatic approach of being good problem solvers and decision makers. Um, and it's interesting, we, uh, some colleagues and I conducted a study looking at um, the CIP model of leadership, which compares charismatic, ideological, and um, pragmatic leaders. So charismatic are these kind of visionary, transformational, really future-oriented um, leaders, whereas ideological are more of your um, they're your past focused. Um, so people like Donald Trump saying things, you know, make America great again. Um, they're very uh, rooted in a particular ideology. 
uh, versus pragmatic leaders who are really just rational <laughs> decision makers. Uh, you know, Angela Merkel is a great example of, of pragmatism. Um, but we looked at that to see in terms of COVID-19 in particular, um, you know, which one was more effective. And we saw that pragmatic leaders uh, were more effective, at least in the first three months of the pandemic. But one question that our team keeps coming back to is that was only the first three months, you know, and so what the, as the crisis evolved, as the situation changes, and certainly we see that happening, you know, constantly for, for organizations or for organizational leaders, we know from, you know, adaptive leadership theories, or um, excuse me, contingency leadership theories, that there's this need to change a leadership approach as the situation changes. So um, yes, I think uh, that idea of kind of chairman leadership or this pragmatism um, is a thing, and I think it's important, but I don't think that's always the right answer. Um, there are sometimes uh, situations that call for other different types of approaches um, and that visionary kind of charismatic rally around um, the people um, approach. That makes does that sense. answer your question? Yeah, it absolutely <laughs> does. And it makes total sense. So thank you. And I think yeah. it aligns very closely to what James and I talk about a lot, which is mm. context is king, right? And, oh, yeah. And um uh anything that becomes too obviously a single answer we get slightly nervous about anyway so that's a, that's really helpful <laughs> okay. um well i think on that point some of the women did they do embody that as well um and there's kind of this like collective bringing people together spirit that maybe isn't necessarily that visionary charisma as we think about it but it's still bringing people along which i think is kind of the part of the point of that charismatic approach um so just some quick examples, um, you know, Mia Motley Barbados really um, emphasized bringing the islands together and making sure they have this like collective response and is really inspirational in her in her appeals while still being very pragmatic um, as well in the decision making. And we see Jacinda Ardern, Erna Solberg of Norway, um, you know, bringing kids along by holding press conferences for them and talking about the Easter Bunny and the Tooth Fairy, uh, you know, from their from their podiums, which is, I think, unexpected <laughs> but it really emphasizes that idea right of um, bringing people along and and being transformational just in a slightly different way than I think we typically think about and it's a it's just those are such brilliant examples of you know when you hear about things like um you know when we look at things like psychological safety and stuff like that and we yep. talk about how leaders need to role model yep. the the cultures and the, the effects those are such brilliant performative opportunities for women to highlight the particular challenges that some women have faced. Um, we know that, that certainly in our society, women have had a larger increase in their care giving responsibilities on average uh, than men. And so I just, every time I've seen that, I've had a little chuckle. I've thought that's unexpected, but I've also thought, blimey, that doesn't half say to the rest of the world, this is the reality of the world we live in and we need to be aware of these issues, which I thought was pretty amazing. Um, yes, it's amazing. It's great. I got one last question from me, which is uh, probably a big one. So apologies, and feel <laughs> feel free to just pick one thing. Okay. But you mentioned that there's um, there's not the most amount of research around this stuff, and even some of the things you were finding were pretty um, kind of unsurprising in the sense that they were they were rooted in sort of some really basic practical elements of good fundamentals of good leadership. But I guess the question is dream budget, dream scenario, dream access to data. What would you like to see research to help build a, a better picture and help understand the challenges and the situation more? 
Oh, that is a big question. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There's so many. I don't have a specific idea, but I think changing the narrative around how we research this and not, um, it's still to some extent seen as a women's issue, I think. um, And it's not really necessarily looked at more holistically from a systems perspective. So, you know, in the 90s and the early 2000s, we kind of had this idea that we need to empower women. Um, And there's still a lot of that around, which I think obviously that's important to empower women and give them a seat, you know, help them feel that they can claim these leadership positions. But, you know, in my experience, the women I talk to, the women I spend time with, they are empowered. (laughs) You know, they feel it. They are ready uh, for those positions. It's it's these systems um, that really uh, can hold people back. And so I think from women's perspective from a diversity perspective more broadly um certainly understanding the intersection of uh gender and race in this case and understanding um you know how we can revolutionize the system what are those you know pain points that we still need to address and to fix and how can we do it um on a big scale uh, i think would be so cool don't ask me how to practically do that um i don't know Um, at the moment, but certainly I think that's the dream, right, to to really kind of map the landscape for not just women, uh, but women of color as well, um, and understand those unique experiences and challenges and and how we can change it to make a more inclusive environment for everyone. And I think, you know, there's a diversity argument for that, um, but also there's just an argument um, about improving leadership. Um, As I mentioned, you know, just seeing that these women were just executing the fundamentals so well. Um, I think by opening up that landscape, we can also improve our leadership um, around the globe. That systemic change seems like an excellent ambition to move towards. I, I spoke in sort of broken <laughs> statements there because it's, it's a big thing, right? Um, yeah. I've got uh, another thing that popped into my mind uh, about some of the things that, that you were speaking mm-hmm. about earlier when it came to the approach to, to leadership. And one of the things that's been on my mind for a little while is this, uh, the relationship between ambiguity and certainty in leaders. And, and, and uh, you know, I've got no background or, or backup to support this, but my sense is that generally people want to follow certainty. They don't want to follow ambiguity, but a lot of what it feels like we've been talking about or exploring in the last year is a structured approach to prudently managing ambiguity within the you know the, the challenges that we face as, as states and nations. Do you have any sense of that relationship between certainty and ambiguity in leadership and, and the ability of you know leading in an ambiguous world in such a way that you harness followership? One of the things yeah. that, that you that got me thinking a little bit about this when, when you spoke about it that, that I wonder if could be helpful was you, you talked about, mm. to some extent, certainty of process in relation to dealing with ambiguity. So you, so when you were speaking about some of the leaders, you spoke yeah. about, well, I will surround myself with experts, I will follow experts, and I, and I can have sort of faith in my approach to dealing with these situations. And I thought that could be something. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a good point. Rather than certainty in outcomes, maybe certainty in the process of how we're gonna go through it. So I, I think a good example of this, um, you know, just at the forefront of my mind might be um, Boris Johnson. I know I said I didn't want to talk about men, but <laughs> he's the first one who comes to mind. Based in London, right? Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, hearing his approach to the kind of escape from lockdown, um, 
there there was some certainty around outcomes, but it was, there was a lot of certainty around process as well, um, at least from kind of the, their communication standpoint, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, we are we are going to do, was it five weeks yeah. um, in between um, each one? And we're, this is how what we're going to assess and this is what we're going to look for and then we'll make a decision. So even though there's not, there wasn't a decisive outcome um, there was a, a decisive plan, or at least there was the appearance of a decisive plan. Um, so yeah, I think that's a great point. P- maybe focusing a little bit more on process rather than the outcomes um, in particular could be a way to, to balance that. Cool. And and a question sort of jumping back, I, I'm jumping all over the place, a question jumping back a little bit to that <laughs> systemic type, type view there. Um, yeah. Obviously, you and, and many people that we speak to work in uh, education. Um, at, at different stages, yeah. when when we think of a role of things like uh, further education um, within our societies, what sort of impact or what sort of things do you think organisations that are doing things like MBA programs and things like that? What what what's their role in this at the minute, and what what could those organisations maybe do more to help uh, foster systemic changes that would enable? minority leaders, you know, women or, or intersectional women of color to, to really step into these places and to have um, expectations of others from a followership perspective that that they would embrace that type of pragmatic approach to leadership that we've, we've seen discussed today? Yeah, that's a great question. They certainly play a huge um, role in that. Um, and I, I think the, <laughs> there's a couple of things, um, you know, that's really important for higher ed. I think um one it's role modeling that for their students as well so higher ed can be really good about talking about things but not necessarily doing those all of us can uh (laughs) yeah oh yeah all of us absolutely um it's true um i think sometimes there's this perception that you know higher or at least among academics that they're they're better (laughs) for some reason and we certainly aren't um so making sure that we're checking ourselves um, and that we are role modeling and being those examples for students as well and encouraging them um, to pursue um, their, their dreams and, and their and leadership um, across the board. Um, but I think in the way we teach as well. So, um, you know, sometimes we in business schools in particular, right, we use a lot of um, cases to, to build that case based knowledge. And so it's thinking about um, you know, am I choosing cases of all white males? <laughs> uh, that just is reinforcing the stereotype um, in a negative way. And so I think, you know, being proactive in higher ed and making sure that we are challenging um, those stereotypes of who can be a leader and then being advocates for our students uh, who are interested in doing that and making those connections with industry and, and making sure that those experiences are matching up in the quote unquote, real world, um, and that they transfer outside the classroom as well. That's really, really um, thought provoking, that is. Um, And I guess, following on from the thoughts about higher ed, it'd be really helpful to, we have lots of listeners who are senior leaders in sort of medium sized organisations. And it'd be really interesting to know what advice you would have for them, uh, based on your research, uh, uh, for their approach to leadership. Yeah, I think it's, there, there are two kind of key pieces of advice here. I think the first that we've mentioned already and been discussing is just don't be distracted by these quick fish, these quick fixes and these, you know, flashy new ideas. They're, they're a dime a dozen. Um, and really understanding kind of the key aspects 
um, of leadership. So being pragmatic, data-driven decision-making, asking for help, you know, not kind of falling into this, um, you know, macho trap of what leadership needs to look like, but, um, you know, really being open to just reflecting on our own decision-making, on our own processes, on how we plan, you know, and, and giving time to those boring topics. Um, because they might be boring, but they're they're critical and essential, and they'll make or break a leader. Um, so I think you can masquerade as an effective leader for for a short time with uh, charisma and some you know emotional intelligence and grit and kind of hiding behind these flashy terms. Um, but in the end, it's going to come down to decision making and and problem solving and kind of how a leader approaches a problem. Um, so giving time to that. And I, I think the other side of the coin is also, you know, not just about our own approach to leadership, but understanding how we're spotting and developing talent as well and future leaders. Um, so making sure that those who are in leadership positions, um, you know, they're they're the gatekeepers to the future of future leadership positions. So so making sure that they're um, being allies and recognizing who they're promoting and why and making sure to check their own stereotypes. You know, we see a lot of grassroots type change. And as I as I mentioned as well, we see a lot of women who are taking their seats at the table and, um, you know, participating. And so making sure that we, those in senior leadership positions and, and who are managing others are checking their own biases and making sure they're being open to challenging the status quo by kind of allowing these women to, um, to come up and to challenge the idea of what what leadership looks like and I guess lastly for me thinking yeah. about aspiring leaders those ones that are like looking upwards and saying you know I, I have ambitions to be um, to lead a team in an organization how how but I want to do it well and I I want to mm-hmm. learn from what I look around and see female leaders doing well in the world at the moment what uh what advice or practical tip would you have of where they should be learning growing at the moment in order to be better better prepared for that to do it well yeah I mean I, I feel like a broken record a bit but <laughs> I think you know reflecting on your own problem solving and decision making and really getting to know yourself and your approach and then learning from other examples of how to do that well and where you might be able to um, improve and we're in a, a cool time where we're having more and more um, excellent examples of, of women in leadership kind of take center stage. And there are, while access is still limited to information about them, um, we do have more access than, than ever. And so, you know, looking to them and paying attention to what they're doing um, is, is key. We have such great role models. Um, so understanding what they're doing as well can be helpful. So, uh, you know, buying my book that might be a great thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> So, but it's a really good yeah. point, right? Because you talked, we talked to the earlier about the glitzy and I don't think, I, you know, I, I know you're worried about yeah. something like a broken record, but the, the, the message in all of that is stop worrying about being a glitzy yeah. showy leader and worry more about doing your current job well with process, with design and involving others and in a collaborative approach such that when you have to do it at a higher level with higher stakes, exactly. you know what you're doing. And that theme came across so much in uh, these examples of women that they just kind of put their head down and went to work, right? They weren't distracted by kind of these these glitzy ideas. They weren't really distracted by these other problems. They were just doing their job and they were doing it very well. 
Um, and, and we know we see that with women in general, that they tend to have to be overqualified and they tend to be just outstanding in whatever field um, it is. And this is the case as well. They just, you know, they were doing their job and they were doing it well. And so, yeah, coming back to those fundamentals, um, you know, trying not to be distracted by the, that next big thing, um, but just really looking at what effective leadership is. Brilliant. Well, thank you for that. I'm going to jump in and draw us to an end, just in the interest of time. Um, before we go, though, could you say again yeah. a little bit more about your book and, and how people can learn a little bit more about you and find out more about you and what you're working on? Yeah, so you can uh, find a little bit more about me on my website, which is KelseyMedeiros.com, or on Twitter, which is at Dr. Kelsey, K-E-L-C. Um, and my book will be out in the fall, so the information will be um, will be available there. Um, yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Well, it's just time for me to say thank you very much. That was a really fun conversation. So thank you from me. And thank you from me. And thank you both. This is great. I enjoyed it. Okay, so you are back in the room with us. That was our conversation with Kelsey, uh, where we spoke all about female leaders in global positions. Um, and we spoke about a wide range of interesting stuff there. Jen, did you have any specific points that you'd like to reflect on or, or take away? I guess... I mean, there's quite a lot in there and it's quite a wide ranging sort of potential impact on other things. I guess the thing for me that's really big is just get good at your craft early in your career so that when you get really big opportunities and big challenges, you are good at the basics of leading a team, right? And I don't mean the fancy stuff. I just mean that being able to assemble a group of people and get tasks done and use their expertise and their skills to be able to do those tasks well. Yeah, no, that's nice. I like that. And and what I'm going to say is, is really quite similar to that, which is, you know, this point that a, what a lot of these leaders do well, it's not a, a big, you know, planned uh, set of things. Um, it, it's it's doing the, the sort of basic things well. It, it's focusing on the core elements of doing a job well. It's planning. It's having a clear strategy. It's working with good people around you to make sure that you have a clear route to navigate through what you're trying to do as a leader. Um, and I thought that point around sort of playing to the audience or playing to the crowd versus sticking to, you know, the good core aspect of management was interesting as well. And and what you can do to to step away from that natural, naturally attractive um, sort of magnetic pull of, of playing to the audiences and, and trying to be popular and staying away from that and just sticking to what you know is a good thing to do and, and not chasing that uh, recognition, but instead focusing on the core fundamentals of good management. So I think there's a really powerful thing there in my mind absolutely yeah interesting lots of uh lots of wide wide ranging things to think about way beyond um just the not just but way beyond the just female implications of what the research that kelsey's talking about there brilliant okay well let's draw a line there on that conversation so uh thank you for me and it's a thank you for me hi it's jane i just want to say thanks for listening to the whole episode if you enjoyed it if you have a question or if you just want to say hi you can find us on twitter at world of work underscore io Don't forget, you can also find out more about what we do, including our online seminars, workshops and development programs on www.worldofwork.io. 